Amen, amen. Hey, if you would, grab a Bible and get with me to Ephesians chapter 3. If you're new to us, newer to the Bible, we're in this series and uh, just such a rich book in the New Testament. You'll find this uh, little book uh, called Ephesians towards the back of your Bible, but get there with me or pull it up on a phone, Ephesians 3. Uh, I think all of us in the room know the frustration of knowing that something has to be done or get done and lacking the power or the ability to do it. Uh, At a very practical level, those of you who are students or many of us can remember what it was like to be students and to have a test or a quiz in front of you and to get a problem, a math problem or a a question to answer and to stare and go, I know what needs to be done right now. I need to answer that question, but I have no idea what I'm doing or how to do that. Uh, We know what it's like very practically when something big and heavy has to be moved, but we lack the physical strength in order to move it. And we know what this is like on a spiritual level. Knowing what should be, knowing what we need to do, and at times lacking the spiritual power to do it. I know I need to see victory over this sin area, but... Or I know that is what I should believe about, but I just doubt that. My faith is lacking. And so that's what's so encouraging as we come to a very important part in this letter we call Ephesians. Remember, the first half of Ephesians, as we've said, I think, every week, is all about the doctrinal riches of what it means for us to be in Christ. What do we need to know? There's been hardly any commands in the first half of this letter. It's been all about, here's what you need to know, Jesus follower, about all that God has done for you in Christ. And so we called the first half of the series, Rest in Christ. Just rest in the riches of the doctrine of what it means that you, by grace through faith, have Jesus as your Savior. Uh, What's coming beginning next week is the chapters four, five, and six of this letter in which it is deeply practical. Now, in light of all of those doctrinal riches, how now should we walk with Christ? How do we live out this Christian experience with the years we get? But tethering these two things together is this awesome, beautiful prayer we get at the end of Ephesians chapter three. And if you have a Bible in front of you, that section of your Bible might even have a heading over it. In my Bible, it says this, prayer for spiritual strength. All in favor, say aye. Aye. We need prayers for spiritual strength. Paul, the writer of this letter, knew that those who were going to be reading it would need prayer for spiritual strength. They would need prayer to really understand all he had written up to that point. They would need prayer to be able to live out all he's about to write to them. And so we get a wonderfully awesome prayer to close out Ephesians chapter 3 and to help us transition to the practical part of this book. Now, uh, this prayer, I'm arguing, has four parts to it, four parts to this prayer. The first three parts are petitions. If you've grown up in church, you might be used to that word petition. If you haven't, it just means requests. Paul is making requests to God on behalf of those who will be reading this letter, petitions. And then the final part is a, a, a component of praise. And it's an awesome component of praise. And we're going to look at these four parts here. And so let me read all of this prayer. Then let me pray and we'll make our way through it. Ephesians 3 verse 14. 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, God, we make this our prayer. Lord, we need the petitions of this prayer. Lord, we need our hearts to soar over the praise of this prayer. And so God, as we dive into it, would you meet us in a powerful way through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Three petitions and a praise. First petition we find in this prayer is this. God, grant us power through your spirit in our inner being. This is the first petition we see here. Look back at verse 14. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. And then we get a a bit of an unpacking. Who is this Father? Who's this Father God that I'm praying to? He is the one from whom every family, you might have a footnote there, or fatherhood, all of the people he fathers, and heaven and on earth derives their name from him, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And now Paul says, here's what I'm praying, that according, God, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul is praying. What is Paul praying? Paul is praying that they would be strengthened. How might they be strengthened? Through the Spirit of God. Where might they be strengthened? In their inner being. This is a prayer for power. But we need to know something, right? Much of the world longs and lusts after power. They want to be more powerful. They want to have more power. But we need to understand that the power in which Paul is praying that his readers would possess is power that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's power that will produce the fruit of the Spirit out of their lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That kind of power. It's power that comes from the Spirit that will allow them to embrace the form of a servant. If their master came seeking not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, the power that Paul is praying that comes from the Spirit is power that actually gets us low, not elevates us. The power that Paul is praying for is a power to be willing to suffer for his namesake. This is a prayer for spiritual power, but I want to start by us understanding power that comes from the Spirit often looks radically different than the power the the world is lusting after. I pray that you would be strengthened with power. How? Through the Spirit. 
This is a power to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. Now, where is he praying they're strengthened with power through the Spirit? Where? In their, in their inner being. We know, especially we saw uh, often as we taught through the Beatitudes earlier this year, we've seen it in Ephesians, the inner being uh, gets at what uh, we call in Christianity the heart. The heart is the command center of the human being. Everything we say flows out of our heart. That's a super convicting thing. If I want a glimpse of what my heart looks like, all I need to do is look at how I talk. Anyone else convicted by that, right? Um, the heart drives the motivation behind what we do. So Paul is praying, God, would you give them power through your spirit in their inner being, in their heart? Now, how are we strengthened with spiritual power in our heart? Verse 17 helps us understand a bit how that happens. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. How is our heart strengthened? It's through Christ dwelling there. P.T. O'Brien, a biblical scholar, a guy who's done great work on Ephesians, I'd commend his work on Ephesians to you. I'm reading it a lot right now. He says this, to be empowered by the Spirit in their inner being means that Christ himself dwells in their hearts. This is how we are strengthened in our heart, by the Spirit. Christ dwells there. Now, question for you. Uh, Paul is writing to believers, isn't Jesus already dwelling in their heart if they're believers? Yeah? So what's this prayer all about? I believe what Paul's getting at is a John 15 reality, an abiding with Christ reality. My prayer for you is that you'd be strengthened through the Spirit in your inner being. What I mean is Christ would dwell in your heart that the abiding reality of your life would be the Lord Jesus set up on the throne of your heart. And as you abide in him, spiritual strength will flow through you and out of you. This is an abiding reality of Jesus dwelling in them, them dwelling in him, this John 15 reality that we see that Jesus taught us. Now, before I move to the second petition, let me just play Captain Obvious a minute, okay? This is important. Sometimes we need Captain Obvious moments. We can't be the man or the woman that God has called us to be without being strengthened by the Spirit in our inner being. I'm just going to state the obvious there. You're like, I know that. I know that we know that. But sometimes I think what we know doctrinally and then how we act practically betrays each other. I think often we can think, I know, I, need to, I know I'm hopeless and that I need to come to Christ in order for him to save me from my sin and make me new. But guess what? I equally need Jesus to save me from my sin and I equally need Jesus to help sanctify me. The Christian life has not come to Jesus, he makes you new, and now muster up the strength from deep within you. The world loves that talk. It's nonsense. We need strength that comes from outside of us, the strength of Jesus Christ, him dwelling in us and changing and giving us a brand new heart with brand new desires. We need Jesus equally as much to save us as we do to sanctify us. We 
desperately need to be strengthened in our hearts by his spirit as Christ himself makes a home and dwells there. You with me? Now, just like we see in John 15, as we abide in Christ, we're abiding in his love. Uh, Where Paul goes next is a petition for the readers here to be rooted in God's love for them. So keep reading here. Uh, Go back to verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Here's the second petition we see in this prayer. God, help us know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Does that make any sense? Like, no, just like, honestly, at first reading, if I walked up to you and I told you this afternoon, I want you to know something that's beyond knowing. You're like, oh, deep, yeah. But what is, what, think about what Paul is praying for them. I want you to know a love that is beyond your comprehension. God, will you help them know the love of Christ that is be, this love that is so beyond a human's ability to even comprehend it? I, I, I know you might be familiar with this passage. I was familiar with this passage coming into it, but I just had to sit in that a minute this week to try to get my little pea-sized brain around a love of Christ that cannot even be fully exhausted in comprehension. There is no study that would compare to the vastness of the love of Christ, but the closest thing I could come up with for an illustration is, is when you hear those facts about the solar system, the universe, space, you know, like you hear facts about the universe And you know the facts are amazing, but if you're like me, my brain can't even fully comprehend what it's even saying. Facts like there are 100 to 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. It's like, wow, I know that's massive, but I I don't even have a compartment for that. Then couple that with, many estimate that there are two trillion galaxies. So for every like one person walking around on earth right now, there are roughly 250 galaxies. Wow. I don't know what else to say. Now, compare a study of that to the fact that the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ cannot even be fully grasped, comprehended, or known. Like the trite saying, we often just say unthinkingly, Jesus loves you. We don't even realize the vastness of that little sentence when we say it. Jesus loves us. Some of us in here need to know that love. All of us in here need to know that love. 
But some of us in particular this Sunday walking in here, I've just been asking that the Holy Spirit, because I realize there's no rhetoric or words I can say to like fully pull that out. I've been asking the Holy Spirit to open up the eyes of your heart and explode your heart in the joy of the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of how much Christ loves you. If, if you walked in here this morning and you're what the Bible would call an unbeliever, it means you've never believed in Jesus to save you from your sin. I'm asking today that the love of Christ would warm your heart in such a way that for the first time, scales would fall off your eyes and you, will see that, and you would see that you've sinned and fallen short of God's standards, his glory. That your sin separates you from a holy God and that you deserve death. Spiritual separation from God forever when you pass from this earth. But that the scales would fall off and you would see that God out of his great love for you sent his only son to die the death you deserve to die on the cross, shedding his blood for you paid that penalty in full, was buried, rose victorious over sin and death, and now invites you to himself by faith, believing. That right now in these seats, the Holy Spirit would so draw and woo your heart that you are warm to the love of Christ, and right now you melt in your seat and just say, Jesus, I see it. I believe in you. Save me. I'm praying that if you walked in an unbeliever, you will walk out a believer because your heart's been warmed by the length, depth, breadth, and height of Christ's love for you. Some of you walk in here hurting. I'm praying in the midst of your hurt from an unspeakably hard week that the Holy Spirit would warm your heart with the length and the breadth, the height and the depth of this unknowable love of Christ that you would know it. Some of you walk in here hopeless. At the end, hanging on by a thread, I'm asking God by his spirit to warm your heart over the reality of the depth of God's love for you in Christ. That you would see today that the hope that you're after is found in a name and his name is Jesus. Some of you just walk in here hungry to be loved. <laughs> unloved by a spouse, unloved by parents, unloved, unloved, unloved. I, I pray in the midst of that pain, that God would reach down right now and open your eyes to see the length and depth and breadth and height of Jesus' love for you. And so the prayer begins with these two petitions. God, grant us power through your spirit in our inner being. God, help us know the love of Christ, this love that surpasses knowledge. And then a third, connected but distinct and powerful tag-on petition to the end of verse 19. Verse 19 says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then it says this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
God, fill us with your fullness. Paul's praying that they will be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, what does that mean? To get at what it means, let's start with what it doesn't mean. God throughout scripture is so clear on this. I will share my glory with with no one. Paul's prayer for their to be filled with all the fullness of God is not to make us little gods. Doesn't that sound awful? What does this mean? This is a prayer for their spiritual maturity. Now, how do we know that's a prayer for their spiritual maturity? Paul's going to use similar language if we peek one chapter ahead where we're going, and I'll put it on the screen. Ephesians 4, verse 13 says this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're going after. A spiritual maturity to attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What Paul's talking about when he's praying that they would be filled with all the fullness of God, it's a prayer for spiritual maturity. It's a prayer for them to become the men and the women that God designs for them to be. By creation, we are made as image bearers of God. And God created them male and female. In his image, he created them. And so we know we fall short in our sinfulness of of reflecting that image perfectly, but we are to be people growing in a pursuit of holiness to rightly image our holy God. His prayer for them is that they would be people filled with all the fullness of God, that they would be full of the Spirit, that they'd be full of faith, that they'd be filled by Christ, that they'd be pursuing holiness, that they'd be full of love, that they'd be united in unity. This is an amazing third little petition we have there. Why is it amazing? Because God is calling us. In this prayer, Paul is calling them out of having some least common denominator understanding of what it means to follow after Jesus. What do I mean by that? Hit church three out of four weeks? Be a morally decent person and avoid the big sins. How many of us have thought that's what it meant to follow Jesus for way too long? Paul's praying that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. I think there's more to that than a 75% attendance rate and avoiding big sins and trying to be decently okay. I want what that means to follow Jesus. And when I read the book of Acts, I don't see them just like, oh, you know, let's check an attendance box and avoid some really big sins. These people are hot on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he wants from us. Paul's audacity to pray that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. Come on. Now, I don't think any of us in the room today think, you know what, golly, I've done it. I'm there. Mark, I'm there. I've been filled with all the fullness of God. I have attained to the measure of the stature of Christ. Last Sunday afternoon, uh, we hopped on a bike ride, and uh, we have this neighbor we love down the road from us. 
And uh, he was sitting outside on a, on a uh, chair, and so we swung in, me and my two oldest boys. And uh, he, right when we pulled the bike, and I love when this happens, he's like, sometime you and me are going to sit down and have a conversation about religion. So I said. <laughs> and we had the best conversation. And I'm just sharing the gospel with him, trying to just, you know, simply share just Christ. Just give him Christ. Just give him Christ. And he's like, don't you go convert me now. I said, I can't convert you. God will convert you. Amen. And he said, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I said, can I say something? Anyone who's ever come to Christ has some, some semblance of hypocrisy in their life. Amen. I said, boys, does daddy ever do anything wrong? And way too quickly, they went, Yep. <laughs> I said, okay, what does daddy do? They said, sometimes you can get mad, and when you get mad, you, like, you can kind of yell at us. And I said, when I get mad, I yell. I said, boys, what else? Sometimes, you know, but not, boys, what else? Well, you, and I'm like, okay, go play, go play. <laughs> not one of us in the room stand here and say that like we've attained to the measure of the stature of Christ, but I'm telling you something, that is the petition to pray to God every day. More of you, Jesus. More of you. I want to grow more into your likeness today. And every single day I get up, more of you, Jesus, less of me until one day I get up and you come back and get me or I go to you and I see you in your perfection. Hallelujah. That as the pursuit of our life until we stand before him face to face. Not just, what do I got to do to get a passing grade in this Christianity thing? Now, let me say, I'm, I'm so thankful for our church that has a vision for that. You all want that. It's what makes this such a joy of seeking him together. I'm out of breath, so hold on a second. <laughs> God, fill us with your fullness. So these three petitions, they kind of cascade down together. They're all connected in a way, distinct in a way. But then Paul explodes into this, this closing element of praise. Now, before I read it, we love these verses that are coming. We put them on coffee mugs. We calligraphy them on signs, and we hang them in our house. Rightly so. Why we do that is because of the content of what they communicate. But my prayer as we read these and as we truly understand what they're saying is that we would, we would elevate them above a coffee mug or calligraphy. We would see why we love them so much. Verse 20. Now to him... To this God we're praying to, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory where? And where? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. How long? Forever and ever, and all God's people said, Amen. Now, to think about this. Paul is trying to put into a human language. You can, you can sense. You can sense in verse 20 how he's reaching to try to even put into a human language all that God is capable of. He's like, now to him who is able to do like 
man, um, far more abundantly than anything you can ask. There is not something you can ask for that God is not able to do far more abundantly than. But it's not just what you ask, what you think. There is nothing that God is not able to do far more abundantly than what you think. According to this power that is at work within us. And then a statement, a doxology, a statement about glory. To him be glory. In the church, this passage I've just preached through is the same passage we preached six years ago this day to launch this church. Why we preach this passage, not the same message, I promise. I wrote a new message, I promise. Same passage. Why we preached this passage is this right here. God, get glory in the church, period, period. So for us, a couple hundred people, one service, all on this carpet, that wall was closed. You might not even know that, so there's a wall right there. That wall was closed. There are about 20 kids in four classrooms down the hallway. We just said, we don't have, we don't, we're not, we're not asking anything of you. We don't know what you have in store for this church. Here's all we're asking, get glory. Be glorified. Do something that we will attribute one, two, three, four decades down the road to God did that. And so when this church launched and people started coming and, all, and, all, and what, what they would say is this, God's here. Yes! God's here. Just open his word, just sing his praises, just get the believers together to talk about how awesome our God is. That's what we were after. And, 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 and we bought a bunch of drapes. Drapes. We're gonna move into a new building. Some of how it looks has changed. Some things in culture in six years look a little different. Six years from now, it'll look a little different than that. This will never change. God, get glory. Get glory in this place. And, 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 and God, the day we stop being about that, just padlock the door. Because we don't need another place to just try to figure out how we can be made more of. You with me? Let's go. To him be glory in the church. That's not just a redeemer thing. To him be glory in his church across the globe. Be front and center and lifted high. To him be glory in Christ Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the son of God, the one who is the visible representation of the invisible God. Christ be glorified. How long? Forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. How long's forever? forever. <laughs> you know the saying we always say, nothing lasts forever. God's glory lasts forever. And we'll never get sick of worshiping how glorious he is. To him be glory forever.